there's snow on the ground in Berlin. Yeah. I've kind of had it, you know. I'm ready for spring. Yeah, we're all ready for spring, I think. <laughs> Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, director of content for Steinway & Sons and editor-in-chief of the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. If you enjoy Soundboard, please rate, review, and subscribe to it wherever you pod your casts. April 1st marks the 150th anniversary of the birth of Steinway immortal Sergei Rachmaninoff. My guest today is Steinway artist Alexander Krichel, whose recent release on Berlin Classics for solo piano is titled My Rachmaninoff. April 1st is the 150th anniversary of the birth of Sergei Vasilievich Rachmaninoff. Tell me, what significance does Rachmaninoff hold for you? I still remember my first encounter with his music. It was at a piano competition, and I think I must have been about 10 or 11 years old. I heard the first bars of the C-sharp minor prelude, an older competitor was warming up with the piece as I was speaking with my piano teacher. And I remember I was literally shaken to the core. And you have to imagine, all of this was before puberty, before heartbreaks, before I even knew what emotions mean and, and how large they can get. So I knew that what I had just heard was something big, but I couldn't even understand how great it was and this was my first encounter and then of course even though I'm, I'm German I studied with a lot of Russian and Ukrainian pianists so this is also the school that taught me to play the piano and this is how Rachmaninoff became such a significant composer on one hand it's such an intelligent way of composing and on the other hand it's highly emotional and this is even more important to emphasize that these emotions are so earnest and so honest. When you play it, you can't, can't do anything else but be yourself. Mm. You're saying that these emotions come baked in and you have to address them. Yes, yes. I mean, he, he really forces you to find real emotions within your soul. So he forces you to discover things and to, to research your own your own humanity and your own definition of life and your own definition of who you are. So I feel whenever I play Rachmaninoff that I understand him better, but I also understand myself so much better after that. What does this process of preparing to play Rachmaninoff look like quantitatively? What do you actually do? And you know what? Let's just start with that C-sharp minor prelude that you're talking about, because that opens your new album on Berlin Classics, My Rachmaninoff. It's a really a celebrated warhorse, the C-sharp minor prelude, to the point where I think Rachmaninoff himself was trying to distance himself a bit yes. from the piece during his lifetime. He wrote it early and it was so popular, he felt it sometimes overshadowed other work. Anyway, that's another conversation. When you take on this celebrated piece, what is it that you actually do? Yeah. 
It's actually funny that you mentioned it because I think Rachmaninoff even hated the piece towards the end of his career. So he couldn't even hear it. And I think people called him Mr. C-sharp minor <laughs> just because of that prelude. And I think what's so special about it is that it is still a prelude. So it is a short form. It's not a big piano concerto that lasts for 35 or 45 minutes. It's a rather short piece, but still it goes very deep. You, you just have to understand the... In- intensity of such a work and to also create and build up the intensity within these few minutes that you have. Of course, first of all, when you read the music, and well, this piece I obviously knew very well before I read it the first time as a, as a young teenager, but first of all, you have to understand all these notes and all these big chords, what do they represent and what do they mean and uh, what do you want to say with all these notes. And then uh, once you've uh, deciphered everything and (laughs) decided on fingerings and how you want to play it, then it's basically about turning your head off and not thinking about fingers or any analysis that you may have done previously, but let yourself be absorbed by what the piece is trying to tell us. Yeah, that's an excellent point that there are so many notes, right? This is one of the rare regular appearances of the sostenuto pedal on the piano, (laughs) wherein there's so much happening that you're sustaining some big chords while you're playing other big chords. So there's so much sonority happening. And then, of course, there's overtones to think of as well. Of course, Rachmaninoff himself had very big hands. Can you sort of see his hands as you're playing? Actually, I'm very lucky myself because I have big hands too. I never had to play an arpeggio where Rachmaninoff didn't write it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm very lucky. And obviously it makes sense to try to actually not play them arpeggio because the sound of bells is so important to Rachmaninoff. Of course. And I think all these big chords and playing them as one sound makes them sound so much richer and makes them sound like bells, which is an effect that is obviously diminished if you have to play it arpeggio. Very famous, for example, also in the in the second piano concerto, the opening chords. I mean, these are these are basically bells, and if you play the arpeggio, it, it even changes the meaning. I think Steinway artist Olga Kern, who's also a big Rachmaninoff fan, also talks about the importance of bells for Rachmaninoff. Maybe you could explain to me a bit where this this love of bells came from. So I think the sound of bells is on one hand, very similar to the sound of piano, and on the other hand, very different. Because the nature of the sound of bells is also that you sound a bell and then the the sound gets softer and softer. It's not like, for example, voice or a string instrument or brass instrument or woodwind, where you can actually start a note piano and then make a crescendo. Yeah, there's an instant decay. Exactly. So, So this is why I think that we are very lucky because our sound has the nature to actually imitate the sound of bells and even that first prelude represents these bells. So it's something that that gives a piece this very religious meaning also. This is interesting since we're talking about orchestral sounds coming from the piano. I really enjoyed on this album your performance of Prelude Opus 23, number five, which sounded strikingly orchestral for me, the way you interpreted it. I could hear all these different instruments coming in and and going out of the mix as you played. Well, thank you very much. 
to me, you don't really have a choice. No, I, I, I really hear these instruments when I play the piano. This is also something that I was taught by Vladimir Krainev, who was also a big Rachmaninoff interpreter. And he, he told me that basically when, when you play piano, you never stop there. So it's never, and, and I really like this philosophy that, that you can't tell yourself, okay, I'm, I'm playing piano, so this is my sound and I'm limited to that. But to always have a sound image that you can't reach, to always strive for something that you know you can't reach, but still try. And only by doing that, you can reach the maximum that is possible on a piano. So this prelude, and obviously all the time when you're playing, it's, it's so important to have this ideal image of sound in your ear and then try to get as close as possible to that. This is a philosophy that extends beyond the music of Rachmaninoff, but really to all piano music. Of course. I think if, if we take it back again to early pieces, just a, a Bach fugue and tracking these lines so that the lines become distinct rather than, oh, this is my left hand, this is my right hand. Exactly. It can be a very challenging thing to learn. Yes, but, but they also teach you many lessons, uh, Bach fugues and Obviously, Mozart or Beethoven sonatas as well, you know, they, they are so orchestral. You're actually forced to think out of the box and you have to feel like as if you're actually conducting an orchestra. With Rachmaninoff, it's, it's obviously just that it's many, many notes, much more than <laughs> when you play, play Bach or Mozart, for example. So there, there's much more voicings and like things that you have to keep in mind and many voices that you have to to analyze and that you have to give the role. Mm -hmm. And then, as you said earlier, after you've done all this, you have to back away and feel it, right? Exactly. It has to come come natural. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's certainly a, a level of musicianship to aspire to. One that I never reached, but one I think that separates professional pianists is once uh, technique and voicings and et cetera become like drinking water, and you can focus solely on this interpretation. That's where really we can get the magic as listeners. Yes, basically, it's it's the philosophy should be that your head's turned off. You don't think of your fingers. You don't think of the music anymore. And your heart's hot on stage. Basically, that's what it has to feel like forming for an audience that you only speak with your heart. This release is titled My Rachmaninoff. So... This seems to me for you a very personal selection. And I'm wondering how you went about curating such a uh, highly personal playlist. Of course, it is very personal to me. Uh, I feel the pieces that I've chosen are on one hand very biographical for Rachmaninoff because the first prelude that we've talked about a lot is one of his first compositions and the Corelli variations are his last, they're his last composition for piano solo. And the Etude Tableau, they're amongst the hardest repertoire that's ever been written for piano. And also that was a piece that Rachmaninoff wrote before a long break where he didn't really compose that much for piano. These pieces have also accompanied me through my life and sometimes by choice and sometimes also by accident even that certain pieces have just been there in strong situations when I've lost important people in my life i had played certain pieces by rachmaninoff or these etude tableau i've played when i was touring south america for the first time when i was touring japan for the first time 
and I feel there was there was always this very strong connection with Rachmaninoff's music, and that whenever I felt I needed comforting, he was there, and and his music feels like as if it it doesn't try to to necessarily make you feel better, but but it shows you that there's somebody else who understands your feeling and that it's fine to feel the way you feel. It's, it's something very personal, and these pieces are pieces that are connected to many situations in in my biography. It sounds like you tend to experience transcendence in the music of Rachmaninoff, and that that is related to his ability to present hard truths without coddling you, but also while letting you know that there's a path forward. Exactly. And I think this is also a question of interpretation, of course, because there's a lot of melancholy in Rachmaninoff's pieces, but I think it's so important to also not lose this noble aspect. There's a saying in German that, that is really hard to translate, but to, to basically have a straight spine and, and to kind of try to cope with all these things that happen to you in life. That requires certain strengths that you can find in Rachmaninoff's music. Is that the uh, a strong back knows no pain? (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit strong, maybe. I've heard that in German. Maybe it's also more more of an image that no matter how how sad you are, it's it's okay to feel sad, but still you you should try to look forward. You spoke about a noble aspect to the music. That's a difficult thing to pin down. It's a difficult thing to quantify, but let's try musically. Can you point to something, let's say, in this album where you hear that nobility? Actually, I feel there are many spots and you can hear it everywhere. You, it, it's like that moment when you want, want to lose yourself in a rubato, for example, or when you want to exaggerate something. And still, this, of course, happens in preparation more than in concert where all is is happening intuitively really you must be aware that when you play a piece by Rachmaninoff you're borrowing his music on stage so it's basically his music it's always a goal of an interpreter to find something in ourselves that that matches with what the composer would have wanted to say with his music so on one hand it has to be really personal and you have to feel it in the moment but on the other hand you cannot lose yourself in your own interpretation, like, as I said, in Robatos, for example. It seems quite the balancing act. It is. There's so much to keep track of and so much to forget about at the same time so that you can keep track of other things. Yes, but, but this is something that... That's the job, right? Yeah, it's exactly. And, and when you're a professional pianist, I think this happens very subconsciously as well because you've been trained for so many years for so so many decades that you've learned how to manage that balance and to to be in charge on one hand but also to to just just succumb to the music it's it's the most beautiful moment for a musician to be on stage and to feel that flow to be in the music and to know what you're doing but even though you're not doing it it's like looking at yourself doing things and it's it's just really beautiful 
yes, I'm, I'm very lucky that over the years I got got used to it and I know how it feels and how it has to feel to, to make it sound right for myself and hopefully for Rock Money Enough as well. And for the listeners, ultimately, too. And for the audience, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Alexander, thank you so much for speaking with me today. And best of luck moving forward with Rachmaninoff and, and with everybody else. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. been listening to Soundboard, a Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard Steinway artist Alexander Kriechel performing Rachmaninoff's Morceau de Fantasie, Opus 3, Number 2, in C-sharp minor, as well as the composer's Ten Preludes, Opus 23, Number 5, in G minor. Our intro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief at ListenMusicCulture.com. Our outro music is Alexander Kriechel performing Rachmaninoff's 14 Romances, Opus 34, Number 14, Vocalise, arranged for piano by another Steinway immortal, Zotan Koshish. Question for the podcast? Email me at info at steinway.com with the subject heading soundboard. Message me on Facebook at Steinway or hit me on the gram at Steinway and Sons. Subscribe to Soundboard on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, or wherever you pod your casts. Thank you for listening.